Hello, everybody, and welcome to G-Wiz, your family-friendly podcast where we discuss D&D Onslaught, Dice Masters, Heroclix, and the other entertaining games made by WizKids. I'm WizDad, that one ability that you are happy to see rotate, but unfortunately it got reprinted on a new die that is somehow too energy cheaper and is just overall better. Aw, shucks. I will be your guide for navigating the competitive and casual scenes of the WizKids Triforce of Gaming. It's Dice Masters Monday, and we are continuing our essential list review with Dark Phoenix Saga. But first, as always, it's the WizKids Progress Report. We have a few things to talk about in today's WizKids Progress Report. First off, I wanted to talk about some of the, <clears throat> the rulings up on the win, I think that'd be a fun thing to do. I will say, first off, um, when it comes to rulings on the win, now Onslaught doesn't have this, their rulings are made in the FAQ on the D&D Onslaught page, but for Heroclix and Dice Masters, I feel like Dice Masters' rulings are far superior than Heroclix, for one reason. There's a little bit more, um, how to phrase it, with Heroclix rulings, it is very straight to the point, a lot of like yes or no answers leaves very little uh, explanation whereas dice masters there's a lot of detail i feel like so for example one hero uh, one <laughs> dice master uh, card that causes a lot of issues is molecule man dinosaur colorado we've talked about this one before that's the one where if he's active your opponent has to pay to to block each of your fantastic four character dice uh, obviously that causes issues because you're forcing your opponent to pay for something uh, which kind of goes against some of the rules like uh, for example I think they list rule 3.1.10 energy cannot be spent or an ability initiated under any of the following conditions one there would be no result or potential result that changes the game state two there are no legal targets available or three the resolution of the ability duplicates an existing game state then they also reference the main one that affects rule 3.1.21 a player cannot be forced to pay an ability cost so effectively it's kind of a an, it's an ability that causes some issues obviously because you're kind of forcing your opponent to do that if you have some sort of ability that requires them to block because remember, your opponent must pay two to block each of your Fantastic Four character die. So if you have a character that says they have to block, like you use a global of some sort, that kind of contradicts that and that kind of forces them to pay an ability which you can't do. So that's led to a lot of rulings. Uh, there's a lot of them out now since, I mean, there's like three, I think, since <laughs> September 14th. Uh, so... Uh, I just wanted to go over some of them, especially this one, which I thought was very interesting the way they worded it. So the question is, uh, suppose I have Molecule Man and Sidekick active and no other characters. Am I able to use global abilities that force my opponent to block in this scenario, or does Molecule Man's ability prevent that? If I use the global, am I required to attack with at least one non-Fantastic Four character so my opponent isn't forced into paying a cost? What if I don't attack with a non-Fantastic Four character? So the previous ruling was saying if you do Molecule Man's ability, you know, they had to pay two to block each of your Fantastic Four characters, so that means you have to actually attack with a Fantastic Four character. So what they're asking is if they pay the if they pay that cost, you know, they they uh, they're using Molecule Man's ability, and they have a sidekick, 
are they required to use that sidekick to block? Or can they activate the global and then swap and say, oh, I'm going to have Molecule Man talk a block? And that's what leads to this very interesting ruling that I like the way it's written. Yes, you could pay for the force to block global and attack with the sidekick. However, these questions present an ethical play situation that you would not see anyone in hero clicks, right? This presents an ethical play situation, but it absolutely does. Given your scenario, you could pay for a force to block global because you have a choice of attacking with your sidekick, thus avoiding violating those two rules I mentioned before. However, when you initiate the attack step, you instead attack with Molecule Man alone and your opponent must block and be forced to pay a cost, which would be disallowed because that violates rule 3.1.21. While your opponent cannot be forced to pay a cost to block, you still spent energy for the global. This sets up a de facto violation of rule 3.1.10, which once again, that was the one that says um, energy cannot be spent if there's no result or there's no legal targets or the resolution duplicates an existing game state. When you paid for the global in the main step, your intention could have been either to attack with the sidekick, no ethical violation here, or to attack with Molecule Man alone, hence an ethical violation because you knowingly did something that if disclosed would be illegal. Because the rules in the state do not account for players intention to do something, technically the paying for the global would be legal. In the spirit of ethical play, if a player chooses to change their mind after paying for the global and instead attack with Molecule Man alone, they should cancel the paying of the global and return to spend energy to the reserve pool. So I, for one, love that ruling simply because it isn't just a, you know, Heroclix gets really down to what are the specific words it says, and then they only make rulings very specifically off, the, off of the words regardless of the outcomes like regardless of what comes of making that ruling in this instance they're saying okay well ethically you can't really do that you can't say oh i'm paying the global to force you to block with the intention of oh i'm going to do the sidekick and then suddenly switch it to molecule man because that then breaks rules but then follows rules so what they're saying in this instance is they're saying, listen, okay, if that happens, if you pay for the global and you go in and then you change your mind and say, I'm going to attack with Molecule Man, you know what? Bygones speak bygones. Instead, cancel the global. You get your energy back. So it's not a kind of a gotcha. Ah, nope, you lost energy. You get that energy back and you just continue play, which is absolutely the way it should be handled. Because that one eliminates ill intent. A player intentionally doing that saying oh i'm gonna pay the global and i got this sidekick here i'm gonna attack with the sidekick. just kidding i'm attacking with molecule man no nope, that eliminates that and it says instead it's no if you're attacking molecule man you can't do it um if that pops up okay cancel the global move the mana back simple enough i like it uh but it keeps going so if the attacking player decides not to, this is a separate question later. So if the attacking player decides not to attack with the non-Fantastic Four character, the energy is refunded. What if instead the non-Fantastic Four character was somehow removed? Examples include Magic Missile Global, Thor of Higher Avalon, Fighting Dissidents, and the Frost Manipulative. 
Also, what if the blocking player chooses to pay the cost and block the Fantastic Four character? Is the energy still refunded? Great question, right? They kind of set a precedent of, listen, if this ethical thing comes up, give the energy back. But what happens in the middle if, if like, there's more abilities that were activated to kind of counter that? So this is the answer. So if the attacking player decides to not attack with a non-Fantastic Four character, the energy is refunded? No, because 3.1.10 was not violated. The sidekick could still attack, and an opponent's character deck could have been forced to block the sidekick. The attack step not being initiated in this scenario does not preclude there not being legal targets available. Wonderful. Then they answer this part. What if instead the non-Fantastic Four character was somehow removed? At the time the energy of the global was spent, if the sidekick was active, there's no violation of 3.1.10. Because a legal game state exists, the sidekick could potentially be forcefully blocked if that sidekick attacked. Awesome. And then the final one. Also, what if the blocking character, the blocking player, I should say, chooses to pay the cost and block the Fantastic Four character? Is the energy still refunded? Their response. In this case, the opposing player is not being forced to pay a cost, so there's no violation of 3.1.21, and the spent energy is not refunded. Here, the opponent may want to pay the cost so they could trigger some other ability or create a desired game state, having their blocker KO'd. You would not know of your opponent's intent to instead pay the cost until after you initiated the attack step. If your opponent decides to decides not to pay the cost to block, providing you have a non-Fantastic Four character die active when you pay for the global, the energy was still spent under a legal game state and would not be refunded. In any case, your opponent cannot be forced to pay the cost. Again, the discussion focuses on playing ethically. The suggestion for ethical play is to refund the energy if the active player forces a block and knowingly intends to attack with only Molecule Man instead of with the sidekick, either by itself or with Molecule Man. Or just not spend the energy at all if the active player's intent is not to attack with the sidekick. From a rules perspective, as long as a non-Fantastic Four affiliated character die is active when the force to block global is used, a legal game state exists and the energy can be spent. Therefore, regardless of whether the active player decides to not attack, attack only with the Fantastic Four character die, or no longer has no has a non-Fantastic Four character die active after the global was used, does not preclude the paying for the global or the refunding of the energy. Whew! Now you would not get anywhere close to that kind of uh, depth of rules <laughs> with hero clicks. It would just be like, what if the blocker chooses to pay the cost and the energy is refunded? Too bad, so sad. Now I wouldn't say that, but it would say something very, very short. Um, they ask another question. Um, basically, there are a number of cards with abilities related to using global abilities. Take the following instance. When Jubilee is active, when you spend energy from an X-Men die to use a global ability or fielded character, deal one damage to a target oppo opponent or character die. If the energy is refunded because the global use was deemed unethical, do abilities such as this need to be reversed as well? Otherwise, what's to stop a player intentionally playing unethically to get a refund only to use the energy again to trigger some such an ability? Further, consider this hypothetical instance in which I was the blocking player. My opponent was legally forced, has legally forced a psychic to block. We then resolve triggered abilities from the global, which now changed the game state in some manner to which my opponent may not 
now be rethinking the original intention of attacking with that sidekick. How am I to determine my opponent's intention if they don't attack with the sidekick? When my opponent's refunded the energy, how am I to know if the refund was done in the spirit of ethical gameplay or because it was no longer strategic? So this is a great question. You might be thinking, man, dude, just let it go. But it, it, it is the peril of having these rulings that causes, um, I won't say confusion, but causes things to happen not how the rules are technically written, if that makes sense. The answer. Short answer. You cannot, nor should you try to adjudicate intent. Ooh, I love, I love the wording of that. Our discussion on ethical play is meant for individual players to think upon, a player knowingly or intentionally performing an action that will get reset. If the play is legal, but afterwards a player has a second thought about their choice of action, there is no rule to compel or allow that player to reset the previous game state so they can do a different action. So it's really going to be subjective. It's kind of like with Heroclix where you, someone said, oh, I meant to move here, do you allow it to go back? I play in hero clicks. If dice were rolled, you can't take something back. Sorry. So if you do something, you rolled some dice and you change your mind. I'm sorry. You rolled dice. Because otherwise you're allowing another dice roll. In Dice Masters, it's very similar. They're saying if your opponent does Molly Commands blocking and says, uh, I'm going to go with a sidekick to start with. And then in the middle of it says, no, now I'm doing Molly Command. You could decide at that point whether it was ethical or not either way they should refund the energy and, and start over because uh, they can't you know they can't keep going with the molecule man thing and say forcing you to block uh but with all these other effects though you could probably tell if your opponent is doing that intentionally it's generally not hard to figure that out um unless they're a very very good actor and i'm willing to bet a lot of a lot of us are not good actors. Anyway, I just wanted to read that ruling. I thought it was very interesting. It was worded very... Um, worded very neat. I, I like the way Dice Masters does their rulings. Um, before we finish up the progress report, I do want to mention... I, I like to use this as kind of a new news and upcoming events. Don't forget that Weekly Fight Arena happens every week. Uh, do sign up on the Discord. If you're not in the Discord, sign up for the Dice Masters Discord as a reminder. And then there's also the DM North. I think it's DM North. Did I say that right? I'm going to be very embarrassed if I was wrong. Yeah, DM North. Uh, they have their two-team takedown October 2nd. So keep that in mind. Uh, Sign-ups can happen on the Discord they, or on their DM North website. Uh, but it starts October 2nd. It's a Swiss event with no top cuts. Everyone will play. It's, um, It looks fun. It's a neat little format. Uh, so definitely, definitely go ahead and sign up. Uh, the deadline is the 30th, which would be, I believe, Saturday. So if you're going to play in the event on the 2nd, which is this time next week. Well, not this time next week. But next week, <laughs> a week from today, uh, go ahead and sign up. Uh, speaking of DM North, hey, what do you know? Let's get into fishing with WizDad because we're going to review the DM North Essentials list and talk about what dice and cards you want from the Dark Phoenix Saga if you're just getting into 
Dice Masters. Get your gear, little man. We're going fishing. And I mean now. Alright, so on this section of Fishing with Wisdom, we're starting out with the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, kind of like with my last couple of episodes before Worlds. Uh, I'm going through the DM North essential lists of all the dice you probably want from each of the current modern sets. Talking about them a little bit, giving my opinion on why you want them. Um, just for anyone that's trying to get into Dice Masters and, and says, you know what, the game is fun, I, I really want to, I like the community, I want to get it in play. Because I know that that was a struggle for me. Getting into the game was figuring out, okay, well, what on earth do I need to play? Um, and luckily, I had some friends in the community and they helped me kind of guide me in the right direction. And the DM North Essentials list was pivotal to that also. I went through the list and decided, hey, you know, this sounds like something I want to play, something I don't want to play. So I'm going to do that again for the Dark Phoenix Saga. Once again, each episode I'll probably do half of the list because there's quite a few cards. So we'll see how many we get through. Um, once again, I don't like these episodes being too, too long. Um, so yeah, let's just start off again. Once again, this is from DM North. All credit goes to them for making this list. The first card on the list is the Arch Nemesis basic action target character die you control and target opposing character die deal damage to each other equal to their attack this one also has a global which is probably the reason why you got it pay a shield target character die has defense equal to its attack until the end of turn so this is useful for those that are maybe the more defensive shield type characters that the character dies where maybe they only have a one attack but like a four or five defense uh this is beneficial for that that allows you to uh allows you to um get past that defense because now they suddenly have a one defense which is pretty cool and it's a global uh, you're probably not playing the actual action but Maybe there might be instances, but four cost energy is kind of hard for me to, to say sure to, but who knows. Then again, I will not sugarcoat it. I am not the best person to talk about action cards because I just don't know how to play them efficiently unless it's a global. Um, all the ones in Secret Wars, the, uh, the epic action cards, I could not tell you how I would try to play those. And that's just, that's on me. I need to just, you know, practice a lot more. <laughs> Up next is Beast, a two-cost fist. Uh, he has Overcrush. Um, to go over what Overcrush does, essentially, when attacking, this a character if this character KOs all of its blockers, or they're removed for other reasons, it deals any remaining damage to the opponent. So it attacks, say it's got it takes out a sidekick, whatever's left over, it deals damage. It's kind of what you probably wish Dice Masters was to begin with, but it isn't. Uh, that's what Overcrush is. Uh, that's not how Dice Masters normally works. Uh, I will say, uh, this beast is pretty good. Level 1 is a 0 cost, and then 2 and 3 are 1 cost. He gets up to a 3 attack on his highest level. So you could be crushing some sidekicks and being able to kind of deal an additional 2 damage to your opponent just with a 2 cost fist. Keep in mind, he is only 2 cost. So uh, this is the common 
Yeah, this is the common beast. I should have mentioned that to begin with. So next one up is the next beast. I should say this list is in alphabetical order. So it's not in an order of importance. It's all alphabetical. The next one is Rare Beast, Combat Ready. And uh, it has the Founder keyword, which I'll get to in a second. When Beast attacks, prep a die from your bag. The first Beast die you purchase each game costs one extra. He's only a two-cost fist. Once again, the same stats because it's Beast. Now, Founder as itself is a keyword, but it doesn't have an effect. Uh, it's not like Overcrush. It's not like any of those. Uh, specifically, it is something that tags off of other founders. So that we'll get to some of those cards most likely on this list that says, hey, founders do an additional one attack or, or have one damage, something like that. It is just designating that this rare beast is a founder. So keep that in mind as we go through some of the other characters. Up next is Rare Bishop, a three-cost shield, who is also an X-Men. If you only use energy from Bishop dice to purchase a character die, prep that die instead of adding it to your used pile. That's cool. Um, his stats are pretty beefy for a three as well. Uh, level 1, he's a 2-5. Uh, level 2 is a 3-6. But level 3, he's a 5-6. That's only a 3-cost shield. So that's pretty good. It is a 2-cost to, to play him at level 3. But that's pretty beefy. A 5-6 for a 3-cost with no like additives, no bonuses or anything. Um, that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of nice. Up next is Rare Cable High Stakes, which is a 6-cost... Uh, bolt. When Cable attacks, double the printed attack of all your other character dice. So this is huge. This is definitely one that you might build around as a uh, win condition for sure. He has a his level two and three are two costs. He gets up to a five five on level three, three three on level two. He would be one that you try to build around and basically say, I'm going to make sure I field a lot of characters, play him, attack with Cable, and, you know, everyone else gets double the die. Now, it does says all of your other character dies, so it does not work on Cable himself. He does not suddenly go up to a 10 attack. But it is worth noting that you could probably balance that with some other X-Men and some maybe cheaper cost X-Men, and uh, Cable could absolutely be your win condition because you're just straight doubling your character's attack, which is pretty, pretty nutty. Speaking of win conditions, I should say, uh, comes another one. Uh, we'll say the rare Colossus Six Fist cost Piotr is the, uh, what is that called? A Colossus title? Like it's Colossus Piotr? <clears throat> when Colossus is active, at the end of your turn, each of your level 2 or 3 character dice deal your opponent 2 damage. Not 2 damage per Colossus die. So you can't play multiple of these and just do it. Uh, he gets up to a decent amount of damage. He's at, like, level 1 is 4-4, four, four, level 2 is 6-5, level 3 is 8-7. So tag him with Cable and he's a 16 attack. That is pretty, pretty nutty. Uh, speaking of Colossus, though, uh, there's another one. Uh, this one, I think, is played more often than the rare one. This is the five-fist cost, Colossal Skilled Painter. He has Energize. 
field one of your character dies for free and spin it to level three and then he also has overcrush which we just mentioned and he still has the same die as the other colossus remember only the cards are different the die stays the same so that is pretty interesting uh, don't forget with energize whenever you roll this die on one of its double energy faces you must use its energize effect this is an optional during the roll and reroll step only check at the end of the step the character with energize does not need to be active for the ability to trigger so that whole field one of your character dies for free and spin it to level three that could work on colossus himself so if you roll the double energy he energizes suddenly he's an eight for seven and he has overcrush that is uh that's pretty clutch that's one that if you're building a team like when i pulled uh opened my case of dark phoenix saga uh, i was excited to see colossus i think i built the first team i had around this specific colossus because overcrush is good and especially when you got an eight attack overcrush is much better next we move on to cyclops xavier's dream he is a super rare six energy cost while you have a sidekick die active when cyclops attacks deal x damage divided how you choose among any number of targeted of, of target opposing character dice where x is the number of your character dice in the field zone so that's a little wordy um, but first off you have to have a sidekick and then when he attacks you could divide it uh, when cyclops attacks deal x damage divided how how you choose among any number of target opposing character dies where x is the number of your character dies in the field zone so cyclops is definitely one you want to play multiple x-men with so you can divide th that damage and i believe that's in addition to the damage he deals level one he's a four two two he's a five three level three he's a six four so you know he would deal the six damage to whoever he's attacking but I believe he also does this divided. I may be completely wrong on this, but I feel like that's an added thing if you have a sidekick. Or he only deals a six damage if you don't have a sidekick. So it's either one or the other. <laughs> I should probably have known that ahead of time. Next up is uh, Daken. Daken. It's not Daken or Daken because that's an actual character, but it's Daken, which is the Macron crystal. Uh, this is the rare five shield he is a villain and i think that's the shiar symbol um this is going back to older cards so it's a little harder for me to read uh when daken attacks prep a die from your used pile when a daken die is in your used pile you take no more than seven damage during an opponent's turn for their damage dealt to you is reduced to zero so that's a little um that's interesting i don't know how useful it is because i don't know how often you're taking more than seven damage but it's kind of like a wind condition preventer like to prevent from a uh, a um a cable colossus combo uh Dekin can help with that it's kind of hard to pull off because it's when he attacks you prep a die and then when the die is in your use pile you'll take mo no more than seven damage it's as as dm north has noted it is unique that's why you should take note of it i wouldn't you know if you don't get don't worry about getting this one to be honest but it's always useful i say this for hero clicks if it's a unique effect 
always note it down for future reference because you never know when the meta turns into something where, oh, we're getting a ton of damage a turn, like from Master Mold, for example. Uh, definitely uh, j just note it. Now, we do have a super rare Deken, who is a six shield cost. Uh, when Deken is active, opposing character dice with purchase costs of three or less lose their abilities and are free to field. So that is interesting. Very interesting. I didn't mention this before. So level one is 4-4, four, four, two is 5-5, five, five, three is 6-6, six, six, with a 0-1-2 energy cost, so to field. So he, that one is a little bit more interesting if there's if the meta contains a lot of like dice that has cheap purchase costs but lose their like relies on abilities i'm thinking maybe like a uh oh what's her name like black widows or stuff like that i'm drawing off the top of my head i'm not great at I'm still learning the meta guys uh stuff like that might be useful the downside is is that if deken is taken out well you know, because they're able to play all those purchase, they're able to play all those characters for free because of his ability, and they have no abilities. But once he's taken off, well, they're still out there, and now they have their abilities back. So it's a little risky, um, a little risky depending on the team. But once again, it's unique. You should try it out. Moving on, we have Dampening Collar, a basic action card for cost. <clears throat> Continuous. Opposing character dice can't spin up. Your opponent may return an X-Men, X-Men symbol, character die they control to its card to move this die from the field zone to its card. So, um, continuous means, the keyword for that if you don't know, actions with continuous are used, in quotes, by moving them to the field zone. They can stay there past the end of the turn. Usually they'll either send themselves to the use pile for an effect or allow you to send them whenever you could use a global ability. If they are sent to the use pile while you are an active player, they go out of play first. As with all non-character dice, continuous dice cannot attack or block. So that one's definitely interesting. There's a lot of teams out there, figures out there that work that work around, you know, spinning up characters. Uh, this one would just strictly be, hey, you can't. So if the meta was one where that was kind of the main focus, I could absolutely see this one being useful <clears throat> uh now let's talk about uh this one is pretty pretty standard i think the next one up is going to be the rare dark phoenix seven cost energy bolt when an opposing character died damages dark phoenix she deals that much damage to each opponent cool um but she's most well known i mean let's be real here for the global um she's pretty much this is one you want to own period Global, pay one lightning, one energy, whatever, one bolt, and KO one of your character dice. The next die you purchase this turn costs two less. So common play is when you roll a, um, you know, you could KO a sidekick, you could carry a KO something, and the next die you purchase, two less. It is a very strong global. It is a, uh, you know, it's a great way to purchase needless to say uh, it gets you you know a seven cost down to a five cost five cost to three cost so you're talking about being able to purchase key win conditions earlier so if there's any globals like if you talk about the big globals in the game right now dark phoenix is one of the big ones that two cost is big and the fact that you could just take out you know a sidekick or something is great too so 
Uh, she also works really well if you use her with Corvus Glaive, I believe. I think she works with Corvus Glaive. I'd have to relook at that. But uh, either way, Dark Phoenix, the rare, and uh, and the super rare, to be honest, um, or not the super rare, sorry, the um, the common is also uh, very useful. Uh, the common is known as, sorry, the rare is known as Destructive Force. The common one is known as uh, Malevolent. Uh, Malevolent? Uh, Dark Phoenix costs one less to purchase if your opponent has an X-Men character on their team. When fielded, KO target character die. If it's an X-Men character die, deal your opponent four damage. Solid. Also has the same global as the rare. So don't worry about if the rare costs more money. You can get the common and it does the same thing. Uh, you just might be less inclined to play it. Though I think they are about the same. Like, they're not... They're not that drastically different. I mean, obviously the die on the 1, 2, 3, 5, 5, 7, 7, 8, 8, she is a 7 cost, so that makes sense. She's also a villain, which also kind of makes sense with Dark Phoenix. Either way, though, definitely um, better. The common is a little bit better than the rare, but either way, you want at least one for the global, and you probably will just never even play Dark Phoenix, to be honest. You'll probably just play it for the global. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. Just an FYI, it's okay to play figures, cards, just for the global. Don't worry about it. Up next is Deathbird Treacherous. Just a two-cost shield. Has the deadly keyword. Deadly means at the end of the turn, character dice that were engaged with the character die that has deadly are KO'd. Even if the character with deadly has been KO'd or leaves the field zone. So that's... That's pretty good. That's pretty, pretty good. Um, especially as a two cost. Deathbird has a, is a one, one, a one, two, and a three, four on the levels, but level one and two have zero field costs. I love zero field costs. It's always nice. So definitely keep an eye out. This is the common Deathbird Treacherous. Very useful. That deadly keyword can definitely come in clutch when you need it to. The next one on the list is the Uncommon Usurper, which is a three cost shield. When Deathbird is active, when you KO an opposing character die with three defense or greater, deal three damage to your opponent. I would argue the common's probably better. I like the low cost, but uh, this one's not bad either. If you can find, you know, if it's, I feel like there's a decent amount of three defense or greater. I don't I don't know if I like this one as much just because you're really not KOing well it's when she's active it doesn't say she has to KO so never mind scratch it let me reread it again while Deathbird is active when you KO an opposing character die with three defense or greater deal three damage to your opponent so that could be very very good especially in a master mold type scenario right where they I think they're all 5-5 five, five, I believe uh, that's pretty pretty good right because you're going to continuously do three damage to your opponent up next is emma frost influential the common four cost shield when emma frost is active your sidekick dice get plus one attack defense and gain the i believe that's hellfire club affiliation that's interesting buffing up some sidekicks i have not played a team that works on sidekicks or you know 
But the only inter affiliation or uh, interaction I have with sidekicks is uh, KOing them. <laughs> so uh, that is interesting if there's a more sidekick based team. Emma could be pretty useful. At a 4 cost shield, she's a 3 5 on level 1, 4 6 on 2, 5 7 on 3. That's not bad. Not bad. The other one we'll talk about is the uncommon, manipulative. 5 shield cost. When Emma Frost is active, at the start of your opponent's attack step, reroll target character die they control. So that is big. That's real big, actually. Now, it's on a 5 cost, so that stinks a little bit. But being able to go into the attack... If they go to the attack phase with a, a pretty heavy guy, you can reroll one of their dice and hopefully land on a you know an energy phase or something like that so i do like that one i do like that one a lot uh next up we have two gladiators first off is the rare gladiator uh magistor kalark this one has just a global it's a four cost fist global pay fist when you attack your character dice cannot uh, can't be the target of action dice or global abilities until end of turn um, one thing I will say, his field costs are interesting. So at level 1, he's a 0 field cost, 5-5. Five, five. Level 2 is a 1 field cost, 6-6. Six, six. But then his level 3 is a 0 field cost, 7-7. Seven, seven. That's pretty nice for a 4 cost character. Um, the global is useful. Being, especially depending on your matchup, obviously. Uh, being able to protect your character from a global ability or from action dice is pretty nice. Um... But it's only when you attack. Keep that in mind. The other gladiator I'll talk about is the common Psy Resistance. Five cost fist. Intimidate keyword, which intimidate means da da da, da. Uh, means when fielded, remove target opposing character die from the field zone until end of turn. Place it next to your character cards during that turn as a reminder. So you kind of just you target an opposing character and they're kind of removed for from the field. Could be very, very, very useful. And then he has a, the same global as before. Um, I feel like, and they even mentioned on DM North, the this common being able to remove with Intimidate is probably more useful than the, the rare. Which the only difference between the two is the fact that the common is one extra fist that is really the only difference the or sorry the rare is one less fist the common is one extra fist with intimidate so you're paying an extra energy effectively for the intimidate which could be good um and then we'll we'll cover uh two more we'll go to gene gray marvel girl this is the rare the five cost energy she has Founder, which we already talked about with Beast, which doesn't do anything, but it just lists as Founder. When Jean Grey is active, your opponent must pay one energy extra to use a global ability. While you have a different X-Men character die in your field zone, Jean Grey is free to field. So requiring them to pay an extra energy to use a global effect is pretty important. Uh, that could really change a game, especially with how much games are reliant or teams are reliant on globals so i can see the same play she's a three three five five six six on levels one two and three you probably play her on a gene gray 
or on a X-Men like affiliated team. Because her costs are not great. One, two, three, respectively, per level. Paying three costs for a six six is not probably doesn't feel good. So being able to just do it for free is much better. And then finally for today's episode, we'll talk about the uncommon Jean Grey Xavier's Dream. Four cost bolt, also founder. When Jean Grey when Jean Grey and one of your sidekick dice are active, your opponent must pay one extra to use a global ability. So this one is um, cheaper, but like she's a four cost, whereas the other one was a five cost. So inherently cheaper, but special clause in order to pull off that one pay one global. Um, the other one was just strictly when she's active, they pay one. Whereas this one, Jean Grey and one of my sidekick dice have to be active. She's also missing the whole being able to get it, her in there for free if you have a different X-Men. Uh, so I don't really like this uncommon. I probably prefer the rare, to, to be honest. And so I think that's all That's all I'm going to go through because I know the uh, the uh, the uh, WizKids progress report went a little lengthy today. So um, that's where we'll stop it. We'll stop it at Jubilee and uh, we'll, we'll pick that back up next week and we'll finish out Dark Phoenix Saga. Um, let me know in the comments, like either on the YouTube video or, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you want to leave a review or hit me up on our, my Facebook page, uh, WizDad. And just let me know if there's anything specific you want to hear about Dice Masters. Um, after I go through all the reviews, it's going to be kind of open to just team building sections and talk about stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, Dice Masters is still in that little weird spot where it's hard to tell what, you know, what depth I want to, um cover certain things <clears throat> but either way thank you for listening to this episode of g whiz um i hope you had a good time listening dice masters will be back on wednesday for onslaught we've got loads to talk about for onslaught so everybody you have a great day